0: Brapentonians and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber. And join me on this two wheeled adventure, my celestial conjunction, Mr. Shaheen Amani. Wow, 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 wow. Quit it now. I'll be the uh, Jupiter to your <laughs> Saturn rings. <laughs> I want, I want everyone to send us the lyrics of "Bulls on Parade." Bulls wrong, on Parade. Wrong answers only.
1: <gasps> uh, team Ann thinks it's rolling around in Bentleys with pockets full of shells, but shells as in like I've been eating pistachios and for some reason I've been putting the shells in my pocket. Oh, she well, explains this whole thing to me. That's so that's very fancy. It's ever. super <laughs> fancy. I think it's because I'm Iranian and we like eating pistachios and sunflower seeds. She's like, I just imagine you driving around a Bentley. And you don't want to put the shells on the seat of the Bentley because it's so nice. So you just throw them in your pockets. I was like, I mean, if you're going to assume I'm driving a Bentley, I probably have expensive pants on, too, in this assumption.
0: I I see cargo shorts, but like kind of like yuppie linen. Oh, oh, they're like
1: Fjallravens where you think you're going to go hiking all the time, but you're not. You just look cool. You look like you're ready to go hiking. What is that called? Athleisure wear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe like capri length.
1: Not like a full short. Uh, excuse me. If I wear them, it's a man pre. A manpre. pre. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I have like, then in that same case, I have like handmade leather slip on. They look like Tom's, but they're leather. So they cost like probably hundreds of dollars. Yeah.
0: I know. I like you're this about. picture that we're putting together. I got, I got a set of those. Yeah. You do? Yeah. You're fancy.
1: Yeah. Is it from like one of your trips out to Bahrain or something? Yeah. You know. <laughs> you're way fancy. Maybe you're the one that should be in the Bentley. <laughs> I just have a Tacoma, sir. I'm super bougie. Come on. Um, We had a customer speaking of the Tacoma. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but we had a customer who came to the shop the other day, and and there was the laptop. There was a brand new Mercedes GTR parked out front, and he comes, and also my Tacoma's out front somewhere. And he comes in, he goes, "Hey, is that yours out there?" And I'm assuming he's talking about the Tacoma. I'm like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "Wow, you went totally different direction than I thought you would." I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I got one either." And he's like. So is it like fun to drive? Yeah, dude. It's amazing. It's super fun to drive. <laughs> so he's going on and on for like five minutes and I'm going with him. And then I go, wait a minute. I don't think you should be that excited about a Tacoma. He goes, what? A Tacoma? <laughs> like,
0: Which is to 60 time, bro. He
1: goes, yeah, no, I thought you were talking about that Mercedes out there. I'm like, what Mercedes? And so I walk out front and see it. I'm like, you clearly think a GM of a motorcycle dealership makes way more money than he does. <laughs> that I- you assume that I'm going to have a $150,000 Mercedes coupe parked out front. <laughs>
0: I just like that you think he's talking about your Tacoma. Like like, like one of the most common trucks <laughs> right? out there. You know, i was like,
1: so psyched about how psyched he was about my truck. I'm like, yeah, man. I made a good choice. <laughs> Please somebody.
0: I don't know you're not a Tacoma, but it's
1: like. <laughs> uh, it's a TRD off-road edition. That is something you get excited about, apparently. I got, I got the packages. I got the packages. It's got the locking diff and the.
0: And the thing, and the
1: crawling thing, and then it's got the tires, and then the—I
0: mean, it's pretty much stock. Except I got the packages. It's it's basically bone stock, except I got everything. (laughs) It's full of pistachio. Yeah, so
1: so, yeah, you roll around in Tacomas with pockets full of pistachio (laughs) shells. Anyway, so going back to what Jensen said, please write to us what you think is the best wrong lyrics for "Bulls on Parade." The chorus, yeah. That song will be stuck in my head for the
0: next at least twenty-four hours. It's been like we were setting up the show, and I'm just sitting there going. wow not like a like a like a broken alarm clock or you know like security <laughs> alarm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, catchy song, man. You know
1: Fucking, that era had a lot of catchy songs. Some good stuff. Some good stuff. Were I, you
0: raging against the machine today? Uh, only the latter part of the day. Hmm. Earlier, it was. I don't even know. I l- I was listening to some stupid French rap. French rap, and that got me on some West Coast rap, hip hop. Well, yeah, hip hop. Wait, what's, what's
1: the difference called? between rap and hip hop?
0: I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's the thing. I feel like gangster rap, gangster rap is like such a nineties, eighties, nineties thing. No, and then that's why like hip hop was like like an offshoot of of that, and it got because uh, like, like hip hop's ga- more pop.
1: Gangster rap was trying to make a a statement about the blight of its people, and that was the best yeah. way of doing it.
0: And then also, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying like like, like, rap as a genre, there was rap and then like gangster rap blew the rap scene up. Mm. And I feel like hip hop had to become an offshoot of rap so it could distance itself from gangster rap. Gangster rap is like grunge to hip hop. Is the like the hair glam metal? Sure, yeah. A little, a little darker, a little, yeah.
1: little more... A little angsty. A little, a little from here, yeah. the heart, as opposed to... Roll around in Bentleys with pockets
0: full of shells. Yeah, we should stick to motorcycles. <laughs> I'm not like a. Uh, I mean, we all kind of grew up in the gangster rap era. I was just talking to someone the other day, literally, I think yesterday, about my my Kenny G collection. <laughs> like, don't listen to music. You see nice that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, man can play an alto socks like a motherfucker though. I mean, you've seen those locks. He looks like Weird Al Yankovic to me, but like Like they're the same person. Better dressed, yeah, like a classy Weird Al Yankovic. Like they could be brothers. They could be twin brothers for all I know. And like one's the evil twin and one's the good twin.
1: Wait, which one's the evil twin? That's the debate. Uh, I'm gonna say Kenny.
0: Yeah, maybe Weird Al's crazy. Yeah, but you always hear Weird Weird Al talk. Is Weird Al still like Weird Al now? Because he's got to yeah. be in his seventies. No, I think he's probably in at his least sixties. Yeah. I mean, let's find out. Weird Al. I just saw something
1: on YouTube about him. It was recent, and he didn't look that aged.
0: Sixty-one. That's not bad. He's young. You know, That's still old though. He's getting his career started. I can't Is believe a young he, buck. Someone actually married him. <laughs> Shaheen. Yeah. What have you been doing on motorcycles lately?
1: You know, trying to ride in the rain. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) navigating these here wet roads. We've had a lot of rain lately. It's so rainy. It was apparently the most rain that this area
0: has had since 1926. I try and convince people that Portland, it actually doesn't rain here as much as people think it does. It It doesn't. We we have the same annual rainfall as New York City. In volume. Yeah. Just maybe comes down differently. Yeah, it just keeps coming down all the time. But yeah, oh man, this last week, basically, it's just been a daily. It's just been wet. Wet. The moisture. Moist. Yeah. Um yeah, so I've been
1: riding, been been doing a lot of very interesting Christmas time sales. We had a nice lady buy a bike for her kiddo for Christmas. I'm gonna deliver it on Christmas Day. I'm gonna go you to the should... shop, throw it in the van. I wanna dress as Santa. I was gonna say, like
0: you are halfway there. You got the beard, yeah, you got the build, you got the you got the belly. I know you got a like a, a red suit somewhere. I'm sure there's something somewhere. I like cookies.
1: I'm gonna hope that they leave cookies out for me. That'd be amazing. That'd be awesome. Ho, 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 merry brapness. May the brap be with you. Blessed be the brap. Blessed be the brap. Now break it in properly or I'll kick your ass. That's love.
0: That's love. Um, b- 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 I did nothing. You did nothing? I did nothing. i have been, I've been, about been working. about um, I've been watching a lot of sailing. Uh, oh, America's, you're going old school. America's Cup was on uh, the the preliminary series for it. So Do you watch sailing that. the
1: way like an old soccer player watched soccer? You yell
0: at the TV a lot? You're doing Uh, it wrong. Pulling the line. No, because like, how do I explain this? Like my knowledge and expertise in in sailboat racing doesn't translate very well to this type of racing. Mm. So it would be like, it would be like a motocrosser going to MotoGP and being like, oh yeah, I can tell you're doing this and that wrong. And this is like, it's like, Mm. yeah, you're both really good at motorcycles. But like the skills, like other than like, basic motorcycle control like motor, motor gp guys don't scrub jumps <laughs> nope you know dirt bike guys don't get a knee down um i, think that's little, why I like uh, i
1: think that's why i like super motard
0: yeah both a little bit of everything bit of both um the tactics like the general tactics are the same but mm-hmm. like the boat hand like i would not be a very good america's cup sailor yeah other than that deep dive on crazy physics things. The universe is 13 Bill? billion years old, Shaheen. 13 billion? Billion with a B. You were able to narrow it down? I mean, that's, that's what science says. Uh, I mean, who knows if they're right? <laughs> it just blows my mind. Physics is amazing. I don't even, I don't even know. That's all I got. That's that's my life. That's, that's like literally the last seven days. And that concludes this episode of a Rap Talk. All right, Shaheen, <laughs> uh, find us on the social medias at uh, uh, WeSometimesTalkAboutMotorcycles.com. <laughs> um... <laughs> Oh, crack me up anyways uh motorcycles motorcycles two wheels um, motor b- b- got some news from Kramer Joe Oh
1: yeah I thought I read that so was our uh, was our fantasy world talk a real thing that it become a real thing
0: I think it's like it's like 95% way there is what, what I was telling talking. me there's a chance they're saying there's a chance I think the biggest thing is going to come down to just like weird logistical stuff of, of like shipping it from point A to point B mm. Getting it all in one bus. I was actually actually I should talk to you offline about that.
1: Ooh. But I bet Joe can probably set that up just with the dealership and put that on their plates. He's got plenty to deal with. I don't think he needs to deal with logistics.
0: Uh yeah, I think it's just more like it's probably easier to ship three bikes. It, it makes right. more sense, like for them to get that price point. It's easier if they're shipping three bikes to dealer rather than one. Yep. I agree. So but yeah, things are things are brewing. There's I'm not quite sure I like the suspension package on it, but yeah, but it, it is I mean, we it talked is.
1: about this at $15,000 You get the basic is. package and then you kind of slowly do the things you want to do to it as your budget yeah. goes up and down
0: and you figure things out. Like I don't like when I, when I talked to Joe about it, like I don't disagree with anything he said, cause it it's like, it's just, this is the price point. This is how it is. 90% of the people are going to change it anyway. So right. it's like, yeah, I agree with you. I just, it's not going to come with preload adjustment. And that just feels weird on a race bike. I wonder what the price difference is for
1: a manufacturer. I mean, I realize they're much smaller, but I wonder what it would cost. You know, Kramer.
0: It's pretty substantial. Like,
1: and if that, they're trying to stay under the fifteen thousand dollars mark, which is you know sort of the magical yeah, number. Yeah,
0: I mean that's the thing. Like the suspension, surprisingly expensive. It's it, super expensive.
1: Every time we do something, even a drop in kit for a scrambler, you're talking about nine hundred to thousand dollars just for the kit. Never yeah. mind the install
0: yeah so that'll be interesting Mm. it's going it's brewing
1: i like i like the direction this is headed though i do
0: too where else are you gonna buy a bike of that caliber for that money turnkey or not turnkey you know i mean the closest thing would be an aprilia rs660 and you can kind of get away you can probably get to similar performance levels with just like a pipe i think that that a a lot
1: of perception of what a track bike's gonna be capable of. Oh, and sure. this category all of, all of us have been oh, in the yeah. R6, C B R six hundred, gixxer six hundred mindset. And now suddenly it's like, wait, you can get real usable power out of a parallel. Especially with today's technology. I like I love when people are bitching online on on you know forums about, you know, oh twins don't have the power, inline has and inline doesn't have the torque, twin has have you written these new things? They're they're mind bending. A lot of times, when people are having these conversations, it's based on fifteen years. Oh well, fuck, ten years ago.
0: I mean, those generalizations are true. I mean, the more cylinders you have, the more power you can make because you can spin it faster. Generally speaking, um, but I mean, like you, it comes down to two: like what your cam profiles look like, and like where you want to make the power, and how you want to make it, and how much you know cylinder pressure you can generate from the combustion process, right? Um. yeah yeah I will say that that 660 is turning this segment on its head because like like to your point before where are you going to buy a bike like a turnkey Kramer well, you're yeah. not you're going to spend a lot of money making an SV650 work you're going to spend a lot of money making an FDO 7 work you're still going to spend a, a little bit of money making an R6 into a cripple triple Um. question yes do we think the 660 is going to make the other manufacturers go like is this an
1: aha moment for them where they're gonna say, wait a minute, we can also make this.
0: I really hope so. And what really does that do hope for Kramer
1: so. or people like Kramer that are trying to build you know, job specific bikes?
0: Well, I think, I don't think you're gonna see any manufacturers make track only models. And that's gonna be a big difference. And that's a big difference between the Kramer and, say, any of the other bikes that competes against. Because, you know, like my Kramer is 267 yeah there's that you know because it's a purpose-built race bike because some, because marcus kramer sat down with his team and was like this is how we're gonna do it and these are all the ways we can optimize design and blah 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 and i'm a clever little german fucker and here we go
1: yeah you can't really fight with that that actually kind of took the steam out of my question for me because i forgot that it's a sub 300 pound bike yeah even an rs660
0: if you you're never gonna get there. No. You might be able to get an R660 down. Like if you want to really spend some money, I bet like 310, 320. But it's a hundred horsepower. Yeah, without a without a lot of work. Yeah. Um and that's the thing, like that'll always be the the game. And and you know it's kind of tough like we race at PIR. It's really a horsepower track. It I mean really the, is. the front straight's almost a mile long. Um you know so like when you are down five, ten horsepower, it's pretty it's pretty noticeable. Like that's a hard thing to make up. And we don't ha it's not like we have a lot of turns. It's a nine turn track. You <laughs> know? <laughs> uh so there's not a lot of places like in the corners where you can make it up. So that makes it difficult. But you go to somewhere like the ridge or even just throw the chicane into the PIR course, and that really changes the balance on what bikes can dominate there. Right. And so that's that's where it's fun. That's where I, where I like the middle, what, what most clubs would call lightweight uh, class because there's a bunch of different bikes that have different strengths and weaknesses. Like you can make, if you want to like blow up a motor by the end of the season, you can make a 90 horsepower Kramer. You can do it. It's not going to last very long. No. But you can do it. And that would be a 90 horsepower bike that's under 270 pounds. That's pretty rad. Sounds terrifying. But it's not going to be 100 horsepower. But then again, you're not going to get that RS660 below 300 pounds ever and an sv650 at that i mean that's like moto america that's like what uh what chris ulrich built there's like a 90 plus horsepower sv650 that weighs i forget what he said his ways but it's close to it's it's on the lower end of 300 oh really and you're like that's that's pretty much the pinnacle right there like that's as far as you can push that design and i don't know how long his motors last but you know a season maybe two i don't know probably not very long because that's a pretty that's a pretty bite, bright flame. Yeah. And so it's just like I don't know. There's there's pretty good balance there. But it would be nice to see other manufacturers jump on. And I I really do hope, especially the RS six sixty, I really hope that wakes some brands up because we've had a lot of middleweight twin displacement bikes, you know, KTM, Ducati. Um, if you want to throw like the F Z07 in there, you could say Yamaha, Honda's got the C B R five hundred, I don't know about that. But <laughs> It's was just like, it's just not a very pointy end bike and it's a little light on displacement anyway. So, um, but there's some stuff in this space, right? Right. But they're all the kind of naked bike types. There's nothing been that's really like, this is a full fairing, you know, middleweight twin sport bike, like designed to be
1: sporty. I think we were talking about, you know, that sort of middleweight sport bike segment slowly dying because really the only true offerings until now were the inline 600s, inline four 600s. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Triumph really with the Daytona, I guess now it's a 765,
0: 765 and it's like a limited edition.
1: Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the conversation that we had before was that that segment, I think is sort of skewing towards that more naked upright standard seating position because it is a more rideable bike for daily riding. Right. So I'm wondering if they're going to make bikes like the RX RX 660 where, you know, the the handlebars are over the triple trees. It's a little more comfortable for daily riding, but maybe easy enough to do a track day switch or something.
0: You're talking about Aprilia or other uh, brands?
1: Other brands or even Aprilia. You know, if if they're going to start coming into this realm of fully fairing middleweight, 100-ish horsepower uh, motorcycles where it's easy to ride, but also sexy enough and sporty enough to be able to do the sport bike thing and do a track day or actually do racing on it. That's a tough crack uh, egg to crack because that segment has sort of at this point is disappearing and the
0: 600cc inline well I don't know I don't know if I'm as quick as you are to to lump 600cc supersport bikes as the same class as 650cc twins. It's not uh, mm, Those maybe, are two different segments. My, in my, my mind. intention is not to lump them
1: together. I just think I'm wondering if that's the next step. I'm wondering if that's the next step in a manufacturer saying, "Well, oh, that 660cc Supersport is kind of a thing of the past where we've let it linger for too long mm-hmm. and it's gotten stale and mm-hmm. we're not really selling anything. Mm-hmm. So why don't we say, hey, here's this next option, the sort of middleweight daily rider that is, you know, typically not a sexy bike, but I think they're slowly becoming a better looking bike where there is a sales appeal to it. And then that's the bike that you, you know, Sell on—I forgot what the saying is—but you sell one day and race race the next day.
0: Sell race Sunday, race, sell Monday. Yeah,
1: yeah. Race Sunday, sell Monday. So even though oh, dealerships aren't open on Monday, yeah, who, nobody's <laughs> open on Monday. That's my day off. man. <laughs> sell Tuesday, damn it! Get off me. Sell yeah, <laughs> race Sunday, Monday, sell Tuesday. Um, yeah, I wonder. I really wonder if that's the next step, next logical step in that category, because if you look at it, racing is a sub subcategory of riders, right? So from a retail's perspective and manufacturer's perspective, in order to make money, you got to sell a bunch of stuff to kind of make up all the money you're going to put into R&D into it. So if you're going to sell a bunch of stuff, you can't just only appeal to the sub sub category. You have yeah. to say, all right, here's the mass. This is what the mass needs or is going to maybe buy. And then a portion of that segment is going to go take this thing racing, but we should make it where it is also, you know, eligible for that kind of writing. You look at that Yamaha MT-07, people are now making kits to go racing on there, and it's not that cheap. By the time you put that thing together, you're in the twelve thirteen thousand dollars 13000 range, I think. At probably. least. At yeah. least.
0: Without, if you're in that range without touching the motor.
1: So now imagine if they kind of made a, you know, a little more racy version of that one, you know, kind of like a, what's the bike I'm thinking of, styling-wise? Honestly, even an RS660, sort of a racing style, super sport looking bike, but it has that more middleweight, rideable, approachable motor and riding uh-huh. uh, ability. But then you now can go race it without having to change a fuck ton of stuff about it. Just take certain things out of it, change the suspension, do whatever it takes to kind of make it go to the uh level you want it to be at. So make it more skewed towards street riding but also kind of take away a little bit of something you need from say like the r6 or the cbr 600 and add it to that bike i think from a manufacturers and retail perspective that's probably the next logical step not trying to lump them together but i'm just thinking that's the next thing if you want to keep that alive you got to sell it in order to sell it you got to appeal to the masses and you got to try and figure out a way of doing that without taking the sex appeal out of it because
0: you know super bikes look cool no i totally agree with you um and i think that's that's I think that's the power of bikes like the KTM eight ninety and this RS six sixty and some of those other bikes that are in that same genre. Because it's 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 still a cheap price point. Yep. It's it's in that hundred horsepower range, which is pretty freaking good. Yeah. And and like truthfully, because they're twins, the torque is a lot better and it's a lot lower in the rev range. So it's like, yeah, you can look at an r6 and be like oh that makes 130 horsepower 120 horsepower yeah but when but yeah but like <laughs> not on any usable rpm at the oh. streets and in reality you're probably really dealing with like 80 horsepower or 90 horsepower and probably even less torque and like then you start like well those that 660 probably makes more horse. Oh, i'd love to do this analysis actually because i bet that 660 is pretty close in power and torque in terms of usable rpm range like that right. you actually use in real life Cause I would, I would totally believe that. And then you get into like the ergonomics is, is better. You have all the rider aids and like cornering ABS and traction control and all this stuff as well. Like it just, it's just a better bike for, for like real world practical, practicality. Unless your real world is the racetrack looking for a lap time. Right. All the time. In which case, Kramer's got a great solution for you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I think that's part of what's happening with the twins class is kind of, and that's part of, they're, they're two sides to the same coin on why super sports are dying and why twins are kind of rising. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I get it. I see it every day. Sure. Just got to get Ducati to make something in that.
1: I, I really wonder though. I mean, if, if Aprilia does this thing and it becomes a success, I hope it does. Um, I think it'll kick open the door for that segment suddenly. And. I mean, we've seen it historically where, you know, one of the Western brands will make something interesting and cool and then the Eastern brands will suddenly be like, oh, that's a thing. Okay. We're going to make it for more affordable maybe, uh, and more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping that'll be the, you know, the trend on this one where the Italian brand is going to make something really cool and then the rest of them will go, wait a minute. <laughs> There's an idea here. We can, we can capitalize on <laughs> ha! <that. laughs> uh, moment. Um,
0: shoot, what was I going to say.
1: Three dollars six. What's wrong with dollars six? Three dollars six. What's wrong with dollars six? <laughs> Three dollars
0: six. All right. Where's dollars six? Uh-huh, uh, gone. <laughs> uh, what is that from? Coming to America. Coming to America. I <laughs> had <Try> the soup. <laughs> where's the spoon? Um, one of the cooler things I saw. I got. I got. I was very fortunate the last time I was in Italy to get to go into the Ducati Corsa uh, uh, area, which isn't. It's usually off limits. Yeah. <laughs> Um and you know they have like this lineup of of engines as you kind of come in that are all like past racing engines. And there's this one from I think it was from the sixties. Hmm. But it was a three cylinder, I think it was a three cylinder four fifty, and it made eighty horsepower. In the wins Sixties. In the sixties. Holy moly. And like rev to like Eighteen thousand RPM or something. I got a picture of it somewhere. I, got, I can pull it up on my phone maybe while I'm talking. And
1: this was a race motor or like a this race, was a race uh, motor. I forget what it was in.
0: It was a proto. I want to say it was a prototype. Hmm. And I was just like, how cool would that be today? Super cool. A Desmodromic. dramatic revs like eighteen grand. Makes I mean like nowadays, man, that that'd easily be a hundred and something, some thirty hundred forty. Yeah, horsepower. yeah, motor. some yeah. craziness <laughs> horsepower motor. Um, and I was like, I was like Claudia, like. That's Dude. what you gotta make, man. That'd be Dude. rad. <laughs> sign, me, sign me up for that.
1: I still, I still would love to see a 600cc V4.
0: Yeah, I'm making like 120, 130 horsepower. Every time I bring that up, people look at me like I'm crazy. But I would totally, I would totally bang that. Every time I bring it up, people at the shop go, oh, "I'd write that." Well, oh, yeah, you and me both. It would just be really expensive. That's the part you guys say, like, "Oh, like, would you do that?" Well, how much would you spend on it? Well, I mean, in order to sell, it
1: can't be more than $17,000.
0: Here it is. Here it is, Shane. <laughs> 350 cc's. What? 80 horsepower from 1971. Was it a two stroke? Nope. Just revved. It was 80 horsepower at 15,000 RPMs. Holy shit. But 12 to 1 compression ratio. Born stroke, 60 millimeters by 41.2 millimeters. 34.93. 0.3 cc's. I, I just
1: imagine you in there with your hand up. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> excuse me, me. Is there a reason you guys aren't talking about this motor more
0: often? Like, uh, hello? Look is at, this thing on? Look, look how tiny it is, too. It's just a little, it's just a little, ba- it's just a little baby motor. What the hell? Boy, one can day you imagine gonna, the noise that thing made? One day it's gonna grow up to be a big motor, but it's just a little baby motor right day. now. That's pretty cool.
1: Oh, man. If that was 350 cc's making 80 horsepower, if they would make it, oh, I don't know, 700 cc's making, oh, I don't know, 160 horsepower? All right, maybe that's not how it works, but still. Give me 120.
0: There you go. Look at that Noki. Look at that Noki. I love some Ganucci. Yeah. Um, mm, Distractions. I haven't had dinner, man. I'm hungry. Did you not eat before you came over? No. Oh, I had a big lunch. I had so much barbecue. What? Which is good because airbag pants are a thing now. I saw
1: that. Very MC Hammer. I like the style. They did.
0: They did look very. I look at this and I'm just like this as like a particular product so it's a french startup called oh they had some crazy name what were they called uh, uh da, 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 da. they were called cx aerodynamics poofy poofy legs aerodynamics and they're on like the french version of you know indiegogo or whatever it's called gofundme uh, i'm trying to get I'm trying to get funny which like just are you gonna put in on this gonna put what like are you gonna help them funding no what? I I totally think crowdsourced funding is just scams. It's just like, listen, Scully all did it once. Doesn't mean everybody else is gonna. There's try so and scam many you. stories, like especially IndieGoGo. If you read the terms of service on IndieGoGo, they don't actually have to use the money that you give them for the thing they say that they're building.
1: More like Indie No-Go.
0: <laughs> so you just sit there and you're just like, so why am I giving you money then? Like, it just seems like a really ch- shitty way for companies to like take no risk. Question: I put Is it all that the a thing people rate.
1: have been asking? I mean, probably people have been asking for for airbag pants, but I just feel like we have more fragile things upstairs than like downstairs legs. If you break this, you've done a lot, and I don't know if that little airbag is going to really stop your femur from breaking. Oh,
0: totally would. Really? Totally. All right. See, so that's why I'm I mean, a not scientist like in every doctor. instance, but like, yeah, absolutely, it would. the The airbag, the the biggest thing is the airbag gets to increase the duration of the of the time that the force is affecting you mm. the, the force is acting on your body right which means it's it's spreading out that force over time rather than having like i want to do like a really shitty job explaining this so what you're telling me is that it doesn't allow the force to be with you <laughs> <laughs> if, if like a thousand newtons of force were being applied to you in a tenth of a second mm-hmm. that would probably i don't know if that would break a bone or not but I have no concept. I was just picking round numbers. <laughs> let's say that, that snaps your femur in half, just for the sake of argument. But if you can take that thousand newtons and spread it over a whole second, let's say, just to keep it super round, that's really a hundred newtons over each tenth of a second. That's you've just decreased the impact by 90%. Oh, okay. Well, okay. You so, think I mean, like, I, I would love, I don't, I don't understand why Dainese or Alpine Stars hasn't already come out with this.
1: They've been working really hard on the, on the vest. I
0: guess. I mean, maybe they, that's
1: the next thing. Maybe they'll come up with an airbag belt that you wear and it acts like.
0: You say that. That's funny you say that. Lino Dainese, the founder of Dainese, when the, so Dainese got bought a few years ago by a private equity firm from Bahrain. Mm-hmm. So, when they did that, Lino left the company. That was him like basically cashing out. But he literally started a company across the street, and I forget what it's called. It's called like Dainese Design or something like oh. that. But their whole thing, well, one, that's the company that owns all the airbag patents, which I think oh, is hilarious, smart, which <laughs> is hilarious. But two, his whole thing before he was leaving was exploring how you can use this technology in non-sporting uh, environments. Yeah, just with, in with general. A, yeah, with a particular look at some sort of belt that the elderly could wear Mm -hmm. that would deploy when they, when they fall so they don't break a hip because like, that's a huge issue Right, is when you're old falling down, you break a hip and then like you kind of just die because you never recover from that. Really? You stop walking. So you stay in bed, you get sicker and your body withers away and you die. So like that's, that was like a whole thing. Like his whole, his whole play is really in the more of the biomedical field. Um, So it's funny you mentioned that.
1: Well, maybe that's the next step then. I like yeah, it. I like that idea. See, it goes beyond
0: motorcycles. And it goes full circle because Dainese supplies all the protective gear for the America's Cup. Huh. We're back to that. <laughs> We're back to the <laughs> And that concludes... No, no, I'm just kidding. It's actually really clever. They made like a special vest and it's got like the air respirator for if they get stuck underneath the boat. And it's got padding so they don't like break their backs. It's crazy. And the flotation. I want one. If you get one, they're probably fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, if I get this stupid sale, but I'm looking at I'll <laughs> Totally do that. Um, other than that, Shaheen, you know, I had actually an interesting question from uh, a listener. Ooh, that maybe, I like those a be. That's lot. like that's like up your alley because it's talking about like the OEM dealer relationship. And this is this is a good one for you. And I actually, I, I think I would find it pretty interesting to hear your your response. Okay. Um. Ba-ba-ba-ba. What's he say? How does the OEM monitor slash audit slash incentivize the dealers to promote their goals? Do dealer do the dealers have advocate organizations like a union to collectively assert their wishes and goals on the OEM? How are dealers rewarded for achieving these goals? Are these goals memorialized and enforced contractually through the dealer relationship? Does a dealer pay to carry a product? Or does the OEM pay to have their product represented at certain dealerships? Go. A lot there. A lot there. Okay. Uh, Explain to me the dynamic, the power dynamic between a dealer and an OEM.
1: Let's start there. So an OEM is essentially a dealer to the dealer. (laughs) We're the end user, right? Um, What they're trying to do is uh, incentivize you as a dealership to carry a full model lineup. Um. Of their of their entire offerings,
0: you should probably preface: not all dealers are single line dealerships.
1: Correct. Not all dealers are. In fact, most dealers are not. Yeah, it's it's not very um, fiscally, you know, helpful to just only carry a brand. Uh, typically, it's better to have more. You have more options. You have more connections with different banks, et cetera, et cetera. But just on the OEM side of things, to kind of go to the original set of questions. Um, the dynamic is the OEM is making the motorcycles. Let's just talk motorcycles in this case. And you as a dealership are the ones who have gone into a, an agreement with them saying, Hey, we're going to represent your vehicles, your motorcycles here at our dealership. Um, they obviously want you to grow every year. Typically speaking in business, three to 5%, three to 5% growth is pretty good acceptable. Sometimes you have bigger growths. I think a lot of, uh, dealerships in 2020 saw a huge spike. And if they're smart about it, they're not going to rely on that for being the same thing next year because these are anomalies. You know, suddenly there's a ton of dirt bike sales and stuff like that. But anyways, I digress. Um, so in order for you as a dealership to be incentivized, obviously we're talking money, we're talking, um, allocations, we're talking maybe bonuses. You can kind of ask for a little bit better help on the lending side for your for your uh, end user, your your buyer. Um, so, I'm trying to I'm trying to decide how to really put this in you know layman's terms. A manufacturer will say, "Here's your goal." for this year based on last, let's say, three years and average it out maybe or based on how much you've been growing every year, you ought to hit this much. If you hit this much, then we will help you have some kind of a bonus structure, whether it's money, whether it's better allocation. If you got some special bikes coming in, if you're a dirt bike seller, then they say, hey, you can get the super fun ones, the really good seller, so we can make sure you have a better sale next year. These relationships vary from dealer to dealer and from manufacturer OEM, OEM manufacturer to other OEMs uh in my personal experience in the brands that I've worked for typically it's a bonus structure that says every quarter if you hit x number of sales new bike sales we will give you this whatever monetary bonus um and then on top of that there is you know again allocation of what bikes do you want you have to no matter i think no matter who you are as a dealer <clears throat> and what brand you're representing you have to have a model line representation which means basically one of each motorcycle that they sell has to be there for you to sell
0: that's the very basics of it i think one of the things that gets overlooked and it throws i don't know about a wrench into this but what makes it more complicated and goes back to like mm-hmm. the incentives you were talking about is dealers don't really buy their inventory per se no they get a loan to right. buy their inventory right and that's often from the OEM or from a third party,
1: yeah, and that's usually a bank that the third party or OEM works with. We call that flooring, right? And so you, you're paying for that every time you go to a dealership. Like if you go to a major multi-line dealership and they've got a thousand motorcycles sitting there, they're paying for those every month. And so part of their incentive is to get rid of that because you know you're you're helping your flooring to shrink, or at least what you don't want to do is pay current flooring pricing for a out-of-date motorcycle. So it, it hurts as a dealership to have a one- or two-year-old brand-new vehicle sitting there because it is losing value, but you're still paying for it like it's a brand-new vehicle.
0: It's kind of like financing a vehicle, Shane. <laughs> kind of like financing a vehicle, correct.
1: <laughs> so it is. It really is because, I mean, like I said earlier, the dealership is the customer to the OEM as the customer is the, you know customer to the dealership. It's almost the same sort of relationship. There's a bit of give and take on both sides, and you're constantly negotiating every year.
0: Which is funny because, like, when you read some of the... uh financials and investor documents for some of the motorcycle brands. You'll hear them talk about customers, customer sales, customer right. this. They're not talking about like people like me no. who are coming into a dealership and buying the bike. They're talking about people like you as a dealer. The dealer is their customer. Right. I am the dealer's customer. I'm your customer. That's a weird relationship. And that it's creates a, a, a lot a very, of dynamic. It's extremely
1: dynamic. And and what you want, what you hope as a dealership is to have a really good relationship with your regional business manager. So, you know, the, the person who is now the salesperson for the OEM for his dealership or their dealerships. Um, because if you have a good relationship, just like as a regular customer to the dealership, if you have a good relationship with your salesperson or whoever's running the joint, you tend to get a little bit better deal. You tend to get a little bit more favoritism. It's just, it's, it's general human politics and you want to make sure that you have an open relationship. And it's funny to me, to hear about some dealerships that don't have that relationship with their uh, with their regional business managers for any number of reasons. It could be anything from, you know, they don't get along together. The RBM is trying to push too much and the dealership's trying to pull too much. And you know, there, 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 there can be an oil and water effect, but in the perfect world, and I'm super lucky to have this, you have an RBM that sees eye, eye to eye with you, wants you to grow, but instead of just pushing their agenda on you, says, hey, I'm literally the middle person between you and the OEM, and you and I are going to talk together, and we're going to figure out what is the best way for you to be successful. Because if you succeed, they succeed, and the OEM succeeds. But oftentimes, that message is not seen eye to eye between the dealership and the OEMs because they're in different levels. They're looking at things at a global way where you're looking at things at best a regional way. Um, So you want to have a good communication process because then they can see your place as a singular joint in the whatever city you're in and they can help you based on your history, your trends, your general buyers and what they want. Um, and so that's a big, big helper. And a lot of people that don't get to see this behind the scenes part, they, they just see a dealership selling a vehicle and making money and moving on with their lives. But there's so much more that happens behind the scenes just to make that one motorcycle sale. You know, we're talking about marketing money, and that's the other thing. If you're lucky, the OEM will help you with a little bit of that marketing money. They have their idea of how it's supposed to be done, and you have your idea of how it's supposed to be done. So then you negotiate with them and say, hey, can I ask you to pay for a little bit of my marketing? Uh, and, and again, the tug-of-war begins once again, just to basically make the sale happen.
0: Um, he's asking about like advocating groups like is there any sort of like union or collective where like the mm. the dealerships have a little little sway over the OEMs how does that power Not structure really. work it's, out it's
1: you know it's interesting that that part of it i i sort of wish was there your best advocate is still your RBM and the relationship the general manager or the general sales manager ends up having with that person now internally uh what has happened is i think this is also a case in the car side but uh there are companies out there that help multiple dealerships from different regions that do not conflict against each other to meet once a year or twice a year and and sort of change exchange notes um i think one of them is called like dealer 20 where they take the 20 best dealerships whether you're car motorcycle boat or whatever you're selling to get together and just have a brainstorming session what are you doing what's working for you what's not working for you and <laughs> Therein lies the trick of going into those meetings without your ego. Cause it's really easy to walk in and be like, I'm Mr. So and so. And I, you know, I make all the money and, you know, I've got the big expensive watch. And, and more often than not, it's just showboating for the sake of trying to seem like the biggest, baddest fish in this here little pond. But the true reason for those meetings is to say, Hey, here's the basics of it. And you put out the truth and you say, this is what's working for me. And this is not working for me so that maybe you and I have, we have the same goals. We have the same thing we're trying to do, right? To to stay in business, to make money, to be profitable so that we can do this again next year. But maybe I'm doing something that's working well for me that you haven't tried before and vice versa. And we can exchange notes and then, you know, both of us kind of be better at this thing. At the end of the day, what they're trying to achieve is more asses on seats, no matter what you're selling. And if you don't all get on the same, remember what I said last week when we were talking about Harley-Davidson, if everybody doesn't have the same message, how are you supposed to sell the thing, Mm -hmm. right? And so the point of these meetings is to say, this is what's working and this is what's not working. Let's all have the same message so that we're all together selling more vehicles. Because let's say a manufacturer like Aprilia, right? If they have, let's say, 10 really great dealerships, but like 50 really shitty dealerships, they have to then put it upon themselves to make those other 50 look at this 10 and go, hey, this is working well for them and this is why. And we want you to maybe talk to them and listen to them and see why this is happening so that you are also successful so that we as an OEM can be successful. And so is there an advocacy group? Mm, Not necessarily. There's a lot of one-on-one politics and every so often we get the privilege of getting together and kind of exchanging notes on the dealership side to try and make things better. But Ultimately, a lot of those answers are very dealership oriented. You don't get to go to the OEM with this and go,
0: "We want better service for blah blah blah." Which is interesting because, like, and I can think of a couple of brands that that kind of suffer from this. Where if you've got a network of, let's say, 100 dealerships, and you have 10 rock star dealerships, I right. not even like it doesn't even have to be. I was going to go like 10 90 with it. It could be 50 50 even. Yep. It, it doesn't even need to be that high. But if you have a, a sizable number of dealerships that are just horrible, that can that can pollute the well. That can be the Absolutely. oil that that there's a there's a metaphor there. Oil that ruins the water. Sure, that works. X it whatever. It's it is. Exxon Valdez. Yeah, it, it, it can be. It can just be that little poison that poisons the well. Right. And and like then it's like oh yeah, don't go to that dealership. Don't go to brand X because all their dealerships are assholes. Because look at these five dealers over here and they're all assholes. And like why would I go to them? Yeah, and that's where the dealership. And you have times, like no recourse as another dealership. None. And it ruins. It affects you directly because it's like it, the brand that you're selling is is getting dragged down by it, and you have no control over it whatsoever. Now,
1: a lot of times, the OEMs will measure a dealer's success not just based on money, but also based on customer uh, service. You know, if you're if you're, you know. If your customers are satisfied with your service, then they'll obviously say good things about your dealership. And if they're not doing well, then the OEM will come to you and go, Hey, you are getting a lot of negative reviews when we call and follow up with customers because of XYZ. And if it's a trend that they do over and over again, it's easy enough to pinpoint. But if it's just overall a bad dealership and bad dealership experience from start to finish, then that's a conversation that the the manufacturer manufacturer needs to have with the dealership. Typically, typically in your agreements when you agree to carry that manufacturers, they will put down the basic rules and guidelines of wh- what it is you have to do to you know speak the language and do the thing and you know represent properly but you're right i think if 50-50 is terrible if there was 50 good and 50 bad you're in trouble you want to see like 90 good 10 bad because then you can say well nah, that's an isolated situation that's not the norm everybody else 90% of the time is doing really really well Case in point, Ducati. A couple of years ago, I forgot what magazine it was, but they basically were like, "Ducati customers are the most satisfied of anybody in the in the motorcycle world."
0: Every year, there is the Pied Piper, like Secret Shopper right. thing that rates dealers and and looks at like customer satisfaction. And and it's funny, like some of the brands that you see at the top and some of the brands you see at the bottom and some of the ones that are in the middle. And yeah. I wonder if I can pull that up, like the most recent one. I didn't see one for this year. Probably. I didn't see one this year either. I was actually probably because they're not going to dealerships doing their little secret shopper deal. Fair, they probably aren't. What a crazy name, Pied Piper. Looks like the most recent one I've I've seen is 2017. But you see it like BMW is number one. Then Harley, Ducati, Indian, Polaris Slingshot, and then Troy. And that's all the ones above the industry average. Right. And then like at the very, very bottom is Husqvarna, KTM, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Honda, Perilio, Suzuki, Canem, Spider, Zero, Moto Guzzi. I have a theory behind that, behind why it's like that. Huh. I think typically your BMW
1: and Harley and Indian uh, retailer is a single line retailer. Those are brands that are yeah. strong enough to That's carry their point. own weight. And then, so now you as a dealership are training people to just talk that one language. Yeah. And they can do it efficiently. On Ducati's side, typically there's another brand there, but it's usually another high-end brand. Maybe it's Aprilia, maybe it's MV Agusta, maybe it's Triumph. Um, And you can still sort of speak the same language. But as soon as you start going into the Husky and KTM and Yamaha, those are usually in a mega store. And there is four or five brands sitting there. And you've got, let's say, somewhere between 10 to 15 salespeople that are running around just trying to make ends meet. And they don't have the time or the luxury of sitting there and giving you the same experience that you would get at those single line, you know, sort of upper-end dealerships. Um, I'm seeing that right now with a dealership up north that is carrying nine brands, and one of them is Ducati, and we hear more complaints than any other dealerships about them. It's not that they're bad people. It's just they don't have the bandwidth that it takes to run a Ducati brand. You You can't, when it comes to the buyership, uh, experience it's almost like an accepted thing
0: where you go into a Yamaha dealership and be like yeah hey, i bought the no. thing and bam bam done it's an impossibility like like it's hard enough being just an expert about one brand right and i can tell you like this as like as a journalist like i i do not know the specs and numbers on every bike that's on the market because there's just there's too many of them and that would be the same issue that a salesperson would have if, if you're a nine brand dealership person. Yeah. Jeez. And each brand has have to so many bikes. That's probably a hundred bikes that you're going to like kind of be expected to yeah. you know, pop numbers and figures like, oh, it's it's 13,999 if you want to buy it. It's got 89 horsepower at the crank and blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, never mind, never mind the spec
1: knowledge. Spec knowledge is not even a thing anymore because nine out of ten times a cus- customer walks in with a smartphone in their hands and they got the specs right in front of them they don't need you for that but what they need is someone that'll give them a sense of confidence that says oh this person will be there next to me and help me be part of this thing i want to do and so if you don't give them that because you're doing 20 other things and you don't have an opportunity to to be able to take care of that one customer then you're going to lose that that sense of uh confidence. That's really what it is. That's all you're doing is you're trying to give person confidence in their purchase. Oftentimes in sales, they'll tell you they don't buy the thing from just another salesperson. They buy from someone they like. Uh, That's so common in sales. Almost anybody that's done sales has heard that at some point in their lives. Be empathetic, learn how to talk to the customer like you actually give a shit. And so when you run a single line dealer, more often than not, the salesperson has the privilege to give a shit. But when you're on a multi one, it's harder. You're doing so much more work. There's so much more expected of you. And, you know, typically there are way more salespeople there than there. They're, not that there needs to be, but it's a numbers game. And, and the sales managers and the owners are thinking, oh, yeah, if we have more salespeople, that means they're going to touch more people. That means they're going to make more sales, which works for the bottom line of the principle. But it doesn't necessarily work for the poor salespeople. So there's a lot more stress involved there. And we've carried we've, I think, conversed about this many, many, uh, podcasts to go towards the beginning of this thing. Um, So I think there's probably a good reason why you see BMW, Harley, Ducati at the top of that. Because we're sort of taught that the person who's buying that bike has a certain set of expectations and you better be damn sure to understand them and speak that language and, and give them that confidence. Whereas those other brands that have eight or nine other... You know, same brands and that one under the same roof. They're not given that sort of knowledge, and they—I mean, they're—I'm sure they're—you know—they're told that in their business meetings, but they don't really—they can't practice it. It's hard to do, and you have to be reminded of that every damn week to do it. Because at some point, you're going to get burnt out, and you're not going to give them same the the same uh, experience. Again, it goes back to what I said last week: if you don't speak the language, and if you don't believe in the thing, then you're not going to do it properly. And we're we are in a lifestyle slash sport that requires a lot of emotional support. It's just a part of it.
0: <laughs> That's kind of funny to think about. It really is. If you <laughs> big, think about big it, tough motorcyclist and it's like I mean, can you hold my hand and just give me a little, Dude, it really is. I mean, sport, we had a guy today who love. was probably the nicest.
1: He really was one of the nicest people I ever met. But if you saw him at a glance, like just this big, tough looking dude, the guy's like six foot six, probably weighs like 280 pounds. Just like, just a big dude. Right. But he was so excited and giddy about his motorcycle that he was buying. It was like, you know, it was like, it reminded me of being a kid and getting a box of Legos and you're talking about it in the same way because there's all this emotional stuff that comes along with it. And if you can't give that, if, 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 if this same dude was given a different experience, he would not have been the jovial dude that he was. And it's interesting how it comes along with it. I mean, when I bought the Toyota, these guys are doing 500 units a month. I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of number. And if you look at the dealership, if you really just, if you are in my shoes and you're used to looking at a dealership and you just kind of slow time down and watch them work, it's like watching an ant colony just going berserk. There's no, there's no connection. There's no, it's just like, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this or else. Whereas for us, we're so small, we're tiny. We're, we're essentially a mom and pop shop, right? We have a couple of salespeople. We have a couple of people in parts, a couple of people in service and a couple of people in apparel and their goal every one of them is to give no matter who walks through that door this crazy great experience which should be the same goal of any dealership but we have the the ability to do that because of our size and the number of bikes that we sell and so you know now you have to be able to grow within that same group but not outgrow it because if you outgrow it you have to grow the group now and you now you have to Say the same message to more and more and more people, and it can dilute a little bit. you gotta be there's gotta be a perfect in my mind a perfect little mix
0: hmm. you think we'll ever buy motorcycles off amazon i've been <laughs> I've been
1: saying that for probably ten years now. I mean hopefully not Amazon he makes but, you know, enough but like you know yeah. somebody like, like yeah I mean, I really think that's the next step. I really think that's the next logical step. I hate to say it as someone that works at a dealership, but we buy everything but vehicles online,
0: yeah. That's my point.
1: Right. I, I, I just bought an exercise s- bike without ever seeing it. Yeah. You could buy expensive shit online without ever seeing it. Yeah. But for, for I'm sure political reasons, there is a thing that protects dealerships from that. So that they can continue to
0: make money. For I now. think that's more on the car side of things. It just it seems is. to have, you know, kind well, of. I think s- motorcycles get lumped in just kind of because it's like, oh, those go on the road too? Okay, fine, sure. Yeah, because they're still licensed and registered vehicles, but right? That's one of the things with Tesla that they've really been pushing is like the disruption of the dealership model. Yeah. And they're, they're trying for it really, really hard and it's, and
1: they're getting a lot of pushback. Um, so I think, yes, I think logically that is going to be the next step. Maybe in America because we still treat the motorcycle. I mean, you said it best. It's the most expensive accessory you buy in America, as far as I'm concerned, for most men, anyways.
0: In America, maybe, maybe Europe too. Like, it's a definitely a Western culture thing for now. I mean, I shouldn't say that. China, like owning a, a Harley Davidson in China, like, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's mean, luxury. That's, yeah, all the luxury items there. Like, China's one of the biggest consumers of luxury goods right now. Yeah. So. But typically, with luxury items like
1: that, they want that human interaction. You want to feel special for buying this thing. That's true. You are not just buying another thing. You are not buying a a PlayStation Five online. You just you want to be able to talk to the person and feel special for buying the thing. That's true. And that's the thing with Tesla. You can buy it online, but at the end of the day, you still show up and somebody gives you the white glove treatment. The people that I know that bought Teslas, it wasn't just like dropped off. By an Amazon driver, and they were like, "Best of luck, figure it out." Good luck, bud. <laughs> right, it, you you show Make up, sure and somebody up. that's dressed really well walks you through the whole thing. But the difference of it is, I think the the stigma of you know haggling and wheeling and dealing goes away, right? Because you're just like, this thing costs eighty five thousand dollars. Can I get a better deal? No, this thing costs eighty five thousand dollars. End of story.
0: That was something I, I recently was in a dealership and it was really funny. They're like, we're, a, we're a weird dealership. Like whatever's on the window, that's the price. And you sit there and you're just like, I'm like, I've been to a lot of dealerships. What's on the window is never the price. Right. But I love the framing of it. Like you don't need to haggle because what's on the window is the price. And I'm like, yeah, but remember, I bet. Remember Daewoo made cars for a minute? Yeah. That was their thing.
1: Yeah. Daewoo was zero haggle. It is what it is. And Like CarMax does that. Yeah. It is what it is. Now, they're smart. Their pricing is not the lowest or the highest, but they're they're very reasonable. Can you find a better a car for cheaper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure you can, but is it going to have the CarMax guarantee of like them having the 100 in whatever point yeah. inspection or of you're the thing? Are you in the color you want? Right. Not. So, yeah. you know, there there's always, you know, a little trade-off. Probably once a week we get told by a customer who buys a used bike from us, "Hey man, I'm buying it from you because I know that you've gone through it and I don't have to worry about the thing." And also because when you buy it from a dealership, typically that dealership can also sell you a warranty. So even if something does go wrong because the dealership missed it because, you know, human beings, um, it's still covered. You, you still have a little bit of that protection. Whereas if you buy it from a private, uh, seller, you typically don't have that luxury.
0: I love when Shaheen talks warranties on the podcast. Yeah, buy the warranty. I mean, I disagree with that 100%. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like it. Like <laughs> but that. I like how you get it in there. Like, I like. It. Ah, hi, I'm the sales guy. No, but I'm going to get you that that's warranty, a big, right? That's a big selling point, though, for a lot of people. Th- that it's, he, I would say, listen, like, if you're buying a bike from a dealership, you're doing so because of the peace of mind that comes with it. Because it's it. like, when this bike breaks down, I have somewhere I can leave it and be like, your shit broke down. Go fix, fix it. it. Yeah.
1: And you know what the and that's the thing with a warranty we can we can make fun of it all day long but I've always said <laughs> it a warranty is an intangible object it's a yeah. promise based on yeah. a handshake and an exchange of money saying I will take care of you if the thing breaks it's based on someone knowing math better than the other but oh yeah but, duh. but I think in California I don't, I don't know if it's still the case but I think and somebody will correct me I'm sure but I think when you buy mm. a car you have a three day or seventy two hour same thing cool off period where you can say hey I fucked up. Uh, I think it has to be like within a certain amount of mileage, dude. Like you can't go pile up a bunch of miles in the car.
0: I don't think there's a not in California. There isn't.
1: There you go. No such thing. Then I take it back. That's the that's the thought behind
0: it. We still I get like that the question first all thing time. that pops up. It's like Mountain View Chevrolet. Just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, when you buy one of our shitty Chevrolet cars, when you get an Aveo, People it's ask the yours, question. man. People ask the question every. Holy moly,
1: man! If I had a dollar for every time, I'd have probably a thousand dollars by now. We get that question asked a
0: lot. Someday at some point just, in life that was a thing, I, I guess. Just, I just love it's a Chevrolet dealership. Like I can't pick a <laughs> I can't pick a manufacturer that makes shittier cars than Chevrolet. Where it's just like, have you been in an Aveo? Like I rent a lot of cars. I don't even know which one the Aveo is to be that's, honest. That's 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 exactly it's that good. It's just a it's shitty. Shitty Chevrolet. I think trucks. It's just that's the thing. The only thing Corvette? they make that's good is trucks. Yeah. And and but that's the thing. You get on a Corvette, nowhere on a Corvette does it say Chevrolet. No. Nowhere. Not anymore. Not, not ever. I guess not. Huh? They never they, had the. They've boat done a on really good job of making right. its own brand. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Holy moly. But like in a veil, you like I got an AVEO once. I think I was in Pike's Peak, and I was just like, this car sucks so much. Like the oh windshield, I can't see out the windshield. The back, the well, back. I gotta look up the Aveo. screen. The I can't even like? fucking like use. And then like it rattled, it made noise. It's just oh my god, it's just the shittiest fucking car. I mean, it's supposed to be. It's a. It's like a budget. Oh, God. It's a subcompact little yeah, ship a, box. Just a little ship box.
1: You wrote, this, you wrote this thing in Colorado at like that kind of elevation. Yeah. How did it run? It ran great.
0: This and car by makes great,
1: p- I mean horrible. 1.6 liter inline for making 108 horsepower at 2,600 pounds almost.
0: I can tell you, you can definitely smuggle a professional motorcycle racer in the trunk of these <laughs> through the Pikes Peak security <laughs> gate. I can tell you that for certain. <laughs> oh,
1: man. That poor guy, person, girl, I don't know. Will you say who it is? <laughs> they know. They know who they are. <laughs> they know. They're going to text you later on, you son of a bitch.
0: There's <laughs> nothing sacred to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like, oh. Uh, I love this Chevy. I like total tangent. There's probably like someone
1: that works for Chevrolet. Like, I, can, I, I love that you're judging Chevy just based on this piece of shit you drove.
0: Well, I mean,
1: <laughs> it's like me saying I'll never buy a Toyota because once upon a time I drove a Toyota Paseo and that thing sucked.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that's fair, right? <laughs> but I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a I hate to say it, but like, how do the American like, What look at look at Chevy's lineup? What what cars do they make that are good? I'll, I'll give them like Corvette, truck. Good, good good car for what it is. They make great trucks. That's probably their SUVs money maker. are kind of. Uh, I mean, once upon yeah. a time they had the cool
1: Blazer and stuff, but now it's all there's about the some, there's crossover.
0: There's some cool stuff back in the day, but like no, like are you are you see it in their sales. Like, what from the Chevrolet line sells? Camaro, you know, like Camaro,
1: murder car. Um, I used to want a Camaro ZL1 real bad. That's the big supercharged one. Still kind of want one. It's just I don't. I have too many teeth and not enough mullet. And whoever's listening to us that has one, can I drive it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I really love those cars a lot. Yeah, uh, I feel like the for for. The birthplace of the like modern automobile, American manufacturers have really dropped the ball on making decent cars. Like Ford barely makes any cars whatsoever. No, Ford's pretty much given up cars. They make the Mustang and they make like what the Focus and that's it. I don't even
1: know if the Focus is still a thing. I think they were talking about just making trucks and Mustangs yeah. and that's it for now. Yeah. And then there's the e mock. Well, the and that's the other result.
0: thing. So they got the new electric Mustang. Yeah. Not at all Mustang. Yeah. What the. F- what did you, that you just do with the Mustang brand? What? what the fuck? I saw that. I was like, wow, someone should be fired. I, I mean, I'm sure it's like, what was it? I, I mean, saw, talk about a
1: recognizable name though.
0: That's she the got thing. got my Mustang though. bullshit. That, like, that's not the, a Mustang. Like, but imagine that, Shaheen. So I know. imagine like the motorcycle equivalent, like the Ducati equivalent. would be like, hey, Shaheen, we're going to come out with the new Superleggera EV. And it looks like a fucking Chevy Aveo of motorcycles. And it's electric. <laughs> and you're like, it looks like a Zero SR, right? Not an ugly motorcycle, but not a good-looking it not motorcycle. Very, it's not really lovely. Kind of utilitarian. You're like, well, yeah, but it does zero to 60 in like one second. You're like, yeah, it's because it's electric. That's the only – it still only gets like 15 well, miles yeah. of range. It still kind of looks like a shit house. It's still going to kind of fall apart. All right, cool. Neat. Cool. Calm. Not it. Glad you called it a Superlegger. So cool. I'm taking
1: it you're not a fan of the new electric Mustang. No.
0: <laughs> I mean, call it something else but it's like yeah I'm surprised as, at the naming as someone that like studied branding and, and, and lived in that world like you just took the Mustang name and diluted it to nothing but you know we talked about this last week about the
1: serial one versus Harley thing yeah. And why did they na- name it Harley? Because somebody would have come along and go, ah, you diluted the Harley thing. You you, you called an electric bicycle a Harley. That's not a fucking Harley. Harley's supposed to have big, whopping two cylinders in the middle. Also, below. come
0: back to Harley Davidson shouldn't be in the electric bicycle business if it's not willing to put its name on it, because otherwise, that product is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, at least, like, like, like look at the converse. Like, another. I just think Harley lost a real good
1: opportunity. Instead of calling it the live wire, they should have stuck with like their fat boy, fat bob. Just call it like the fat buzz. Zap boy, something fun, man. You're Harley.
0: That was a because har- the lawyers got involved.
1: Yeah, but they named bikes fat boys.
0: The lawyers were drunk that day. Ugh. Bring those old lawyers
1: back, <laughs> they drink <laughs> gin instead of I don't know. No, actually, they probably drank bourbon.
0: Um, kind of a short show, We you can probably get out of it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've got anything else. You got anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> That being said, Shane, we have uh, some people to thank for A and R Pro. Support. Ooh, you do. How many this time?
1: I like that. Um, you know what makes me happy? A and R Pro people. Say that again. A Pro people make me happy. Okay. who I heard something else. Ooh, I need to hear it later.
0: Uh, <laughs> I like this first one, Michael. Or like Michael? No, 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 not that uh, Michael. for uh, Michael. Michael? That nah, Michael. Right. We already did Michael last time. Well, either way, this hey, is new Michael. Michael. This is new Michael. This is Michael. This Michael is my new best friend, Michael. Oh, why? Because he says uh, I should. I should read it actually. But the the short version was that he thinks you should buy me the the KTM. Oh yeah,
1: I saw that bullshit, <laughs> Michael. You know what? I'm not friends with you anymore.
0: I don't. I don't like this old team Jensen versus team Shane bullshit. <laughs> It was like if you really were a good friend uh, that owned a motorcycle dealership, you would buy your other friend. I don't own the, the dealership, motorcycle. Michael. <laughs> Listen, you know a guy. I'll give you seventy nine hundred dollars for it. <laughs> Eighty nine. Wait, should I be going the other way? Ninety one.
1: <laughs> now you are catching <gotcha>, on.
0: <laughs> Sixty thousand dollars suit. Come on. <laughs> oh, um, Martin, from. Oh, Canada. Martin's from above us. He's from the, the Great White North. Um, How's
1: things over there, Martin? Did you read the article in AR Pro, Martin? Well, oh, that's a funny thing. Sales?
0: It was funny. In fact, I meant to email him because it was like right as he was emailing because he says in his news like, hey, I'm Martin from Canada. I don't think he said it like that, but <laughs> like, it would be, know, be great if you did more of those uh, Canadian roundup stories like what's going on in Canada stories for ANR Pro. And I was literally talking to Zach, my, my Canadian journalist guy, <laughs> like that, 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 like that very moment, I was like, exactly. We got to do another Canada story. Like, can you get one for me by the end of the week? And yeah, today we posted it up. So nice. There you go, Martin. Enjoy. It's actually pretty good. Zach did a good job on it. Thanks, Martin. Um, but, 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 There is a person who signed up for NR Pro and doesn't want to shout out. Oh. Let's we'll call them the Unknown Dane. Unknown? He's Danish. Danish. So he knows. Oh, but, he knows I mean, we're talking about him now, but oh, no one okay. else knows. I don't know. I mean,
1: yeah. Are. Why is it the pastries called the Danish? Are they from? To be fair, to be fair, this is the first time I said to be fair on the
0: show. It is. Wow, we went almost a whole show. Jeez Louise, what's wrong? It's because I haven't had dinner yet. To be fair, Scandinavian food is fucking horrible. Here's here's Scandinavian food. Take a fish you like. Yeah. Do something to it that sounds fucking disgusting. Oh. And then eat it. Oh. Like that's like, hey, do you want to like pickle uh, uh, a trout? And then, like, bury it in the earth until mold goes on. it. Like, like there's just, you just sit there and you're just like, why, why would you eat that? Can we just catch the trout and
1: cook it and eat it? Well, I mean, I think it all comes from necessity of, you know, living through
0: the long winter and not having to go fishing. Stampeding the women and raping yeah. the cattle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Viking lifestyle was was kind of tough. They were hardcore. They're kind of hard, yep. Hardcore parkour. But, yeah, Danish food's just, hmm. don't, like... Like, other than, like, I was gonna say grilled salmon. Grilled salmon is not Danish food, it's just seafood. <laughs> I mean, like, Norway, typically, I mean, Norway is one of the biggest suppliers of salmon in the world. And, so like, true. you just sit there, and like, yeah, grilled salmon's good. But, like, traditional Danish food, oh, gross. <laughs> cookies, they make great cookies. That's about it. Um. Lastly, Ryan um, from Feel Like a Pro. If you don't know about Feel Like a Pro, you should. It's a pretty cool service. He basically shows up at the track race prep track prep ninja, what ninja 400s i think you can rent leathers and suits like Where, where's stuff. this based out of like west coast so like you can go to
1: almost any track on the west coast and hire
0: this dude oh uh, i think it's like or like california west coast i'm not gonna speak for him because it's gone through several owners and i don't know what's doing what but when i interacted with feel like a pro initially it was like a northern california thing and oh. i think now he's i think he's doing events up and down the coast but you kind of have to pick your event but yeah, I mean, basically shows up with a trailer full of Ninja 400s and like just takes care of it. And you huh. like then like you feel like a pro. Like, hey, I brought my bike in. They put it on the rear stand. They deal with the tire warmers. Nice. They do the thing. If you I feel like that's a pro, awesome. You I want to do that. Where I just show up. I don't even have to have a trailer or a. Well, Shane, it's we can probably make that happen. I know. I like it. I think I think he was saying like we should come down and do some stuff. Okay. I'm into it. You should invite him to a motor course or track day. You should. Right. Cool. Come up. I just, cool. did, I just invited him. Done. Easy. Done. Um, yeah. So we had uh, we have four gentlemen, gentlemen of leisure. Thanks, gentle leisures. Thank you for for signing up. I greatly appreciate it. Um, obviously, we've been getting the podcast every week. We've it's been a good weekly. Mo- it's a good motivator. How, Trincy, many, it, how many weeks is it, it holds? It like <clears throat> I don't want to like make it transactional, Shaheen. Like like we just talked about it, but it holds accountability. It does. Like there's a little like wow, like four guys. Paid us money. I say us paid me money. Yeah, what the fuck do <laughs> I get? Mean, I haven't got my burgers yet. Man. Yeah. You have got your burgers yet. You're getting the hose uh, on this it. deal. Um, but like four people paid me money to like give this out on time. I better get this out on time. So man.
1: our friend, uh, our our fellow listener Zach went to hit the spot recently and put a pictures of, of it up. Oh yeah, yeah. Blessed the wrap. He actually went there.
0: there when it was open. He found the, that that yeah. narrow window yeah. of time and he put it up today. So if that fucker's open on Tuesdays, I'm gonna throw a fit. I you know what I thought I looked on the website the other day and I thought it said just Monday Sunday closed.
1: Man, I'm gonna talk to that owner. You should. I have so many feelings right now.
0: It's because I'm hungry. I'm getting to hangry now. Yeah, I just found out the taco place in my neighborhood only is open 20 hours a week. I'm it's just the like best really? taco ever. Last this last month Sunday.
1: We gotta go. It's way the fucking Aloha Oregon, but yeah.
0: Where's Aloha again?
1: Like west of Beaverton Hillsboro. Oh yeah, that's right. It's worth it.
0: So worth it. The taco is it really worth it? Oh my
1: god! Earth shattering. Like I can't stop thinking about it. There's several people listening who probably went with us, and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, so
0: wait, you went with other people and you didn't
1: invite me." It was uh It was Anne and I were house
0: shopping, and then I just ran over there. I invited ann to come on the show today. You did. You, I know. You shot it down. Do you really want her here? She's gonna be like, uh, I thought a- it'd be kind of fun. I mean, we like you guys were supposed to be over in the side of the neighborhood, and I was yeah. like, ah, I wonder if fans do anything tonight. It might be fun. It's the last. It's like it's not the last show of the year. It's the second to oh, last. Oh, we got show of one year. more. We're gonna try and do one more we're before gonna do one more. the new year. I think we stay on the weekly thing. I think yeah. we will. We're we gonna talk about our resolutions in the next show. I was gonna, yeah, I was thinking like recap the year resolutions thoughts on life i'll probably watch some stupid more physics videos on youtube and stop it stop it talk about that
1: it's not even real all that is fake the earth is flat earth is so flat
0: it's so flat anyways uh okay we've well- with that, Shaheen. Yeah, that wraps up this edition of the Brab uh, Talk uh, you know, follow uh, podcast. Us,
1: uh, follow us on the uh, social medias that we just talked mad shit about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the hopeless void of social media. You know, enjoy. Follow our, us en- on just, it.
1: Follow us on it. <laughs> follow uh, our
0: fake personas online.
1: That, hey, it's very real on my part. I I'm, I'm. I'm just not imaginative enough to have a fake persona. I don't do fake sleep pictures. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Um, so, anyways, follow us on <laughs> at Brap Talk on Instagram.
0: This <laughs> is crazy.
1: At WeBrapTalk on Twitter, WeBrapTalk at gmail.com, and Facebook's Braptalk Motorcycle Podcast, where we put up all kinds of, you know, honestly, I got to start putting out more fake funny content now that I think of
0: it. Coda, you want to go motorcycle riding? Coda? Coda?
1: Just fucking ignoring me. Nope.
0: Nope. Uh, With that, Shaheen, uh, we say Brappy Holidays. Brappy Holidays, indeed. We'll see you one more time before the new year. I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> good talking. we will see you out there. Make good choices.
1: Safety third. Bye. Bye. You know, every uh, every person I've ever met says they want their partner to be funny. So, you know, he's got that locked down. That's
0: not true. Because no? I'm funny as shit and single as fuck. No, no. You think you're
1: funny as shit. I am They funny. have to think you're funny. People
0: tell me I'm funny.
1: I think you're funny. Yeah but I'm not trying to get in your pants. Well, that's my problem. That is fair.